You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Revealing Retina, presented by the American Retina Foundation, the charitable arm of the ASRS, the American Society of Retina Specialists. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Levitt, chairman of the American Retina Foundation, and joining me today is Dr. Michael Newton. Dr. Newton is a board-certified ophthalmologist and corneal disease and transplant specialist. He is also a medical ethicist and has a master's degree in bioethics, science, and society from City University of New York. He is an associate professor of ophthalmology at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine, where he teaches clinical ophthalmology and supervises the residents' ethics training. He is also affiliated with the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary and is the author of the book we will discuss today. The title of the book, Without Your Consent, The Hijacking of American Healthcare. Welcome to the show, Mike. Roy, good afternoon. Thank you. I'll start out by asking what does the title of your book mean? And as stated on the book's cover, why do you feel that patients and doctors have become guinea pigs in someone else's experiment? Well, Roy, you know, we have obviously a lot of problems with health care in uh, the country. We have problems with financing. We have problems with distribution. And it's become apparent to me over the years that rather than confronting these in an open way, what's happened is kind of begun to use the doctor to do the rationing and the dirty work in the healthcare system and done it in a way that makes it all invisible to the patient. So the patient really often doesn't know in what way they may be uh, shortchanged. And I have borrowed a phrase from some other well-known ethicists we could discuss later who've suggested that really what's happened is we've been thrown into an experiment. Can you give honest health care and can you apportion society's scarce resources appropriately if it's not done openly with no transparency, if patients don't know where they're being shortchanged? And it's kind of an experiment. And in ethics, when you're in an experiment, you really have to give your consent. And I think this is an experiment we've all been thrown into since we're all going to be patients at one time or another without our consent. And that's the title of the book, Without Your Consent, The Hijacking of American Healthcare. And what actually prompted you to write the book? Well, I've been a frontline clinician for many years. I have a, uh, have a practice here in New York City, and I do uh, some routine ophthalmology, but it's pretty heavy on uh, pathology and serious eye disease. And over the years, it's just become more and more difficult to really put the patient's interests first. There are a lot of barriers that come between us and our patients, and I'm sure that many of the physicians listening will, will recognize them as we go on and discuss them. And it's also become more difficult to tell the patients about these barriers. And I really feel that over the next, oh, even less than a generation of practice, we're in danger of losing medicine as a true profession. And I wanted to set down my thoughts about this. In your book, Mike, you said that doctors have become unwitting pawns, unknowingly rationing care uh, to aid the agendas of the insurers and the government and hospitals. Would you expand on this a bit? Well, I think that the ones that are, who are unknowing are mostly the patients. But the ways that we all ration, and we may not, sometimes doctors may, may fool themselves into thinking they don't ration. Probably the number one item that's rationed, uh, Roy, in the care of the patient is time. It's to time uh, to give the patient the thoroughness of the examination they need, time to discuss with them the ramifications of their problem, time to coordinate care with other MDs. And when uh, we work in a uh, system that uh, barely compensates for what are called cognitive services, which is non-procedural services, and we rush along at a clip of three, four, five, sometimes six, in some cases seven patients an hour, it's really impossible to give the patient uh, that kind of care. And most doctors will also not take the time to, and it's a very difficult thing to do, to sit down and tell the patient uh, how constrained you are. We basically each try to get through the day as best we can, and hope that we dot all the I's and cross all the T's. 
but that's not my idea of the ideal way to, to practice medicine. You know, these constraints I was aware of in my practice as well, but I was also aware of the constraints, you know, imposed by the insurance companies. Would you like to talk about that a bit? Well, the insurance companies, of course, are one of the major players. And what the insurance companies have done is really a very kind of a sad uh, turn of events. The, there should be two no greater allies in the world of medicine than patients and doctors. We need each other. Doctors need to be doctors. We need to have our patients come to us. We can't practice a profession. We have spent tremendous time and effort and, and emotional energy and learning without our patients. And we can't do it unless we give them the kind of care that uh, will let them tell others that we're worthwhile practitioners. And the patient's best interest really always needs to come first. The patients, on the other hand, obviously need doctors. They need to be able to trust doctors. So that's really the kind of interaction that we should be having. What the insurers have done in, in an incredible way is almost turn us into adversaries. And I have a number of references in the book and a number of studies that I reference in the book that shows that when patients uh, come in uh, to a very busy practice who are maybe more demanding, but of course they're demanding of their health, and who want time and who want explanations and may want things written out for them, they're seen immediately as barriers to getting through the day. And patients with complex time-consuming problems can become almost the doctor's uh, adversary. We worry about the medical legally, time-wise and effort-wise, and the sort of machine that the insurance companies have set up is aimed at uh, just processing patients sort of as quickly and efficiently as possible. And the more challenging ones become a problem for the doctor, and that's a very dishonest way to deal with the patient. If I have a, a serious problem that is going to be time-consuming and difficult, I don't want to be viewed by the doctor as what I call in the book a, a loss leader, as uh, someone that you sort of have to put up with so that you can do the rest of your professional life. I mean, I want uh, some attention given to me. And the insurance companies, with their payment schemes, have really turned complex, very needful patients into this loss leader kind of a status. And sometimes they're shunned, and we've all seen in our offices patients who uh, have bounced around from place to place because they cannot get the attention that they need and deserve. It sounds like the insurance companies have gotten the positions to continue their pattern of trying to filter out the type of patients they will insure, you know, taking the non sick ones before the ones that have major problems. Well, there's certainly an element to that. And the other thing that, of course, that the insurance companies have done that is really very, very destructive is that they've taken over much of the authority of the patient care without it taking any of the responsibility. They can tell us which medications the patients can use, generic versus brand name. They can tell us about how frequently tests can be done. In my specialty, anything from visual field examinations to, in your specialty, uh, dilated examinations for retinal uh, surveillance. They monitor who can go in the hospital, how long they can go in the hospital, who uh, in the various groups that they're in, who can do a referral and who cannot do a referral. And really, uh, as we all know in many ways, really impinge very directly, obviously impinge directly on the patient's well-being, but they take no responsibility for it. If a patient has an adverse outcome, the responsibility is all the patient's. And in the book, I discuss uh, the legal background for how they've been able to split authority and responsibility. It's a poisonous and very toxic relationship to be turned in a way against your most needy patients and because uh, you've left with all the responsibility and, and less of the authority. For those of you who are just tuning in, you are listening to The Revealing Retina on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Roy Levitt, and I am speaking with Dr. Michael Newton, and we are discussing his book, dealing with the ethics of medical practice and how the government insurance companies and other factors are influencing the way physicians practice medicine today. Mike, let's go back and we can talk about governmental interference. 
Well, the government, in a way, has their own agenda. And as I've been mentioning, what the doctors have they've been put in a position of sort of serving everybody else's agenda. They serve the insurance agenda by processing uh, patients as quickly as they can and avoiding uh, complex, extremely time-consuming, and legally hazardous care. The government sort of is, uh, is the uh, contributor that allows all this to go on, and they do it in several ways. One of the main things that they've done, of course, is prevented uh, physicians from organizing effectively, either as unions or as provider groups, have also allowed the uh, insurance companies generally to hide behind the shield of the ERISA, E-R-I-S-A law, which uh, shields most of the large insurance plans from the kind of liability that doctors face. The largest segment of the uh, collections in malpractice cases comes from pain and suffering. And in most cases, if and when you can sue the insurance company for failure to provide adequate care or for obstructing the doctor's efforts, by and large, the most that you can recover is the care that you, you missed. In other words, if a patient is discharged from a hospital early and dies, just to, to pick an extreme example, and you wanted to go after the insurance company for allowing that to happen, the most that you would win would be the extra day of care that the insurance company should have provided, $1,000 or whatever. And that's because these ERISA claims are adjudicated in federal court. So it's a long story as to how the ERISA law came to be enacted, and it's part of a much broader governmental uh, law that was meant to protect uh, pensions and whatever, but healthcare got thrown in with it. And in the book, I discussed the ERISA law, I discussed the Supreme Court decisions, which uh, various claimants have tried to do something that doctors always think about, and that is, why can't someone take these guys to court and uh, get them to stand up for the decisions that they're making and the, the roadblocks they're putting in our way? And I discuss why that doesn't happen and uh, the kind of decisions that has allowed the government to sort of just uh, supervise but really let the insurers get away with pretty much uh, what they want. You know, some people would say that government surveillance of practice patterns, uh, monitoring by hospitals, legal requirements to inform malpractice risks, aren't these enough to ensure trustworthy care? Well, <clears throat> the word trustworthy is an interesting word there, Roy, because uh, if you had to summarize the basic message of the book in kind of a single word, it has to do with trust. I mentioned earlier that uh, I worry about medicine ceasing to be a profession, and there are lots of technical definitions of things that have to do with professions. Professions supposedly control entry and control the legislation that governs their actions and whatever. But the number one issue that makes something a profession is that a professional has what's called a fiduciary or at least a fidelity relationship to the patient. They really have to act in someone else's best interest. They are really forbidden from using their position of knowledge and authority in their own generally economic best interests rather than in the best interests of the person that they're serving. And the patient's best interest is what really matters. So the question that you asked me had to do with can outside surveillance monitoring by our hospitals and the uh, malpractice laws and the legal consent uh, requirements and so on, practice patterns, and we're subjected now to preferred practice patterns and pay for performance and the whole series of issues. And the question is can these substitute for the kind of genuine trust that I was just describing. And my feeling is, and that's what I write about in the book, those things cannot substitute for trust, that patient needs to trust a doctor. In fact, when you try to rely on those kind of outside forces to monitor doctors and give up what would drive a doctor to want to be trustworthy with his own patient and let him rely on outside controls like that, that you end up really in a situation where they cannot be trusted at all. So the answer is, I, I think the outside monitoring of physicians, in some instances, may be borderline helpful, but by and large, really prevents a doctor from acting with a true measure of trust that the patients deserve. So at this point, uh, we're bringing the show to a close, and I'd like to ask you, what do you feel can be done to put the patient's best interest back on top? 
Well, there are a lot of things. I mean, doctors need to work with their patients. They need to inform them, let them know at times, you know, how their actions have been curtailed. It's very painful to turn to a patient and say, I would like to do this for you, but your insurance won't allow me, or just to say, I don't have time to do this for you. That's, to some measure, doctors need to let their patients know in some way that their actions are somewhat curtailed. They can't always act in their patient's best interest, and we need to work in the political system to have changes made in some of the ERISA laws. We need to let our representatives know that managed care agencies need to be made responsible for their decisions. And there's a whole host of legal action and social action, basically making the doctor-patient relationship more transparent and letting the patients in on the secrets of what's going on behind their care. Mike, thanks very much for being with us today. I'm Dr. Roy Levitt, and I've been speaking with Dr. Michael Newton about his uh, book, Without Your Consent, The Hijacking of American Healthcare. Which, by the way, is the name of the website. For more information, visit us online at AmericanRetina.org. We welcome your questions and comments about this or any other show. Again, thanks for listening.